Welcome to the She Gone Podcast. This is your host, Jeff Fry. Today, my guest is 13-year Major League veteran, Denny Nagel. I can't wait to uh, get in some good baseball talk with Denny. First, I'm going to throw it back to my producer, Dave D'Agostino, for a few announcements. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. So we're episode 474 on the network now, 70,000 subscribers. Now, we appreciate your guys' support on 74 countries. Make sure you take care of our sponsors here. Millions is our newest marketing partner. If you go to the book me option, advertisers, you can put in proposals to advertise for shows like She Gone. We read them same day and get back to you right right away. You can also get with our guests or our hosts anyway about speaking engagements. So put, put proposals on there in person or on computer. Go to the shop me option and you can get merchandise, hoodies, t-shirts, hats, or you can bring our guests out for experiences, which basically means you ask them a baseball question. They'll get back to you within 48 hour video email and that gets, lets you get to know our hosts a little bit better. Jaw Bats, uh, for the latest certified bat for Major League Baseball. She Gone at checkout will get you a discount on their bats. I know, Jeff, you use yours down at Fantasy Camp and pull side double in your first at bat, so uh, got to love that. And then the Kinetic Arm is the what we think is an innovative, patented way to possibly reduce these arm injuries that are out there. Uh, use She Gone, again, at checkout, and you'll get your discount with that as well. It offloads stress externally. Prevents arm lag. Multi, it's a multi-joint dynamic stabilizer and also aids in deceleration. So take a look at the kinetic arm. We had them on as a, as a podcast guest a couple of shows ago. So look at Jason Collarin's episode there. Also one-on-one college pathway programs. They, we appreciate their help with producing these shows. 700 kids obtained scholarships in the last four years to the tune of $540 million. So thank you to one-on-one. And also Monet Hair Products. It's a self-care product. They said they cure hat head. Um, I've been trying it out for about a week and a half now, and my wife likes it, and the kids say I look cool, so that's about all the validation I need right now. So my hat head's cured, so look out for Monet. And with that, Jeff, I'll turn it back to you. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. Yeah, today's guest, Danny Nagel, played 13 years in the major leagues from 1991 to 2003. He was drafted by the Twins, traded to the Pirates, played for the Braves, Reds, Yankees, finished his career in 2003 with the Rockies. He was 124 and 92 with a 4.2 ERA during his 13 year career. In 1995, he made the All Star team for the Pirates and was eighth in the Cy Young voting. 1997, with the Braves, he had his best year going 20 and 5 with a 2.97 ERA, made the All Star team and came in third in Cy Young voting. Had another solid year in 1998 with the Braves, 16 and 11. Great career. Uh, I was looking today, uh, baseball reference, because I thought that I'd faced Denny, and apparently in the major leagues I never did, but I'm positive I faced him in spring training when he was pitching for the Pirates and I was uh, with the Rangers. But uh, anyway, welcome to the show, Denny Nagel. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me, brother. Yeah, man. I uh, I just knew that I'd faced you. I thought when I go through I this baseball reference thing and I – I get guys on here that I played against, and I was like, oh, I want to see how I did against this guy or whatever, just to mess with him. And I thought that I had faced you, but I know that you were playing with the Pirates. And um, you were down in Port Charlotte, right? 
I was in Port Charlotte and we, I mean, you know, spring training, we played you guys like eight times. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, Charlotte, I know I faced you then. got to face you in that shitty stadium you guys had in Bradenton. <laughs> At least once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, in the same, same stadium, you know, I guess they, they fixed it up a little bit as far as the main stadium and stuff, but they still have the old Pirate City uh, spring training facilities and, you know, I guess they've they've uh, fixed that up a little bit too. But boy, back in the day, that yeah, both those places were dumps. <laughs> yeah, and I never. I mean, when we had to go play like instructional league or when it, in minor league spring training and go to Bradenton, and God, we hated it because those fields were that orange clay. It was they were brutal. They were so hard. It was like we weren't looking forward to going to Pirate City. And even though I did like playing at the big league field in Bradenton. I thought it was kind of a cool little setting and yeah. seemed like it was, you know, the wind was always blowing out, but I played so <laughs> many games against the pirates and in either spring training or instructional league back in those days. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if you remember too, Jeff, but the, the pirate city too, it was right next to like an, an orange plant, you know, where they, the, the factory for the, for oranges. And uh, they used to like burn the, the orange rinds and peels and stuff. And it, man, it was the weirdest smell. It was just a bad smell to smell all day there on those backfields. <laughs> <laughs> yeah was hurdle there when you were there with the pirates no no he was uh, that was before him i i he i had him when i was with uh, the rockies okay was he and your he manager yeah yep uh, buddy bell was the manager when i first started and then buddy stepped down my second year and and uh you know clinton was the hitting coach and then he took over as the manager my second year hey, denny was mark wiley uh with you guys with the rockies uh yes yes he was yep i think he's, he runs he runs a he runs a show for us uh, a pitching show for us, but uh, what, what was your experience with him? Oh, great dude! You know, good baseball guy, man. I, I think he was, um, if I'm not mistaken, I think he was either like the minor league pitching coordinator or something when I was there. That's right. Hmm. Yeah, it's cool. One of those good world. Yeah, good baseball guys, man. Every every organization needs people like that, man. It's like that's why I love. You know, someone like Brian Snicker, who just put his time in, you know, with the Braves and now, you know, because I I was never with him or he was never with me when I was there, but he was in the minor leagues and around, you know, and stuff. But he's just great to see guys like that. And I'm sure you can appreciate it too, Jeff, you know, those lifers that just put their time in and stuff and then finally get their chance, you know, and stuff and and to see them succeed as well, too, is, you know, I love seeing stuff like that. Yeah. And unfortunately, it seems like a lot of those lifers are getting pushed out of the game um, for the guys who are, you know. Driveline trained and rap solo certified and on base you certified and or, somehow I know more the game than the guys who lived it their entire life and I fight with knuckleheads all the time on social media about that stuff. I hear you, brother. I'm with you too, man. You know, and, and not to mention, you know, it's guys or girls now. You know, women are taking jobs now too. And and look, dude. Hey, I, before anybody jumps down my throat on that one too, I I have no problem if somebody is qualified and, and they know what they're doing. You know, I mean. It, to me, it's like, um, oh, what's her name? The 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 female um, does the ESPN games and stuff. Used to be in the booth with Alex Rodriguez. She still does. Oh, yeah, it. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I, now I think I think she's great. I think she does a heck of a job. I think she knows what she's talking about. You know, quite honestly, I, you know, I'd much rather have her up in the booth than A Rod, anyways, any day of the week. I think she does a much better, much better job than him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I, but we have to agree. I, I mean, baseball and softball are not the same. So. No. Playing college softball and talking about what major leaguers are thinking about in certain situations may not be actually the same thing. 
No, I, I, I agree. You know, I mean, look, Jeff, you know, I, I know, you know, the game, I feel like I know the game pretty well and, you know, stuff, but, but that would be like me trying to go and, and help, you know, some D one college softball pitcher. I couldn't tell you the first thing about that release point that they have with that underhand release point and the way they, you know, flip, you know, turn their hand over at the end and stuff. What, what am I going to, how am I going to help a girl like that when I've never pitched like that in my life? You know, I could talk to her about the mental aspects of the game and things like that, but yeah, when you're talking about the, the nuts and bolts and the mechanics and stuff like that, I mean, yeah, there's no comparison for sure. Now, and, and you know, I, I support a lot of uh, young ladies that are, you know, softball players and baseball players. And, um, you know, I, I think it's unfair that they're forced to play softball once they get to college. I wish they had college baseball for girls. Mm-hmm. But you know, I did see that, uh, you know, I know there's been some ladies hired in Major League Baseball. And but I couldn't help but laugh when I saw one of the one of the female instructors who I guess was a softball player um, teaching guys how to take leads. Um, from my best recollection, you don't take leads in softball. Yeah, exactly. So where is yeah. this expertise coming from? <laughs> where to take how to take a lead in baseball when all you did your whole life was play softball? And you're right. Exactly. And stand on the base. Yeah. And you have to wait till the ball crosses the plate. I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, I, what do you watch YouTube videos on that? I mean, I don't know. You can't say, well, this is how I did it. Cause you never did it. Right. So. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, same, same thing, the same thing, vice versa too, Jeff, like you're talking about. I mean, you know, a softball pitcher is how is she going to like talk to a pitcher, you know, in, in the minor leagues or the major leagues about his mechanics when their the mechanics are completely different. Yeah. It's a, uh... Now, obviously, you know, people get all their feathers ruffled if you mention stuff like this because uh, for whatever reasons, you know, we have to accept it now, even though that, you know, that we know that there are a lot of qualified guys out of work right now that aren't giving any opportunity that would love to get back in the game that aren't getting the opportunities and people that seem less qualified with zero experience are getting the opportunities. And that's in my mind, that's unfortunate. Uh, absolutely, brother. I couldn't agree with you more. I think, you know, uh, I'm, I'm on the same page with that. And, you know, it's just a it's a microcosm of what you see just in this in this country, in the world today, too. You know, I mean, I think too many times where people are forcing things, you know, certain things down people's throats and stuff and, and whatever happened to earning positions, you know, and, and then the person that's best qualified for the job, you know, man, woman, doesn't matter, race, religion, color, it doesn't matter as long as you're the most qualified. That should be the only requirement as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I couldn't agree more. It's not what you know, Danny. It's who you know. Yep, exactly, brother. (laughs) Uh, Dave, I want to tell you, uh, you know, I didn't – Danny and I's careers, you know, happened about during the same time. He was up from 91 to 2003. I was 92 to 2001. And – we never really got to know each other. And then because of the stuff I did on social media, you know, I was invited by a guy named Ryan Brown um, on Facebook to come to Cody, Wyoming for the <laughs> celebrities against cancer charity event. And I was like, yeah, I'm going, I'm going. So I thought it was a great opportunity to go check out Yellowstone and to go up there. No clue who's going, except I knew Otis Nixon and John Rocker and I'd never met Rocker either. So we get up there. Next thing I know, all these other guys show up, Danny Nagel, Mike Hampton, and Jeff Nelson. I knew Nelly, but here's all these guys that I've never 
really met, played against a little bit in my career. And that happened, I think, four years ago. And now we're all buddies. And now <laughs> we've, uh, you know, we can't wait to go back in August again. Danny missed it last year. He's coming this year. But I mean, how cool is the, is the fact that four years ago, we started a group text message with all of us on it. And we almost every day send a message to each other, wishing each other happy birthday or whatever, checking in on each other. Man, we have this whole new group of friends in our lives just because of Ryan Brown and what he, he invited us to come to Cody, Wyoming. I know. What a, what a great thing. You know, it's just to me, Jeff, I think it's another reminder of that part of the game that we miss. You know, any time I'm sure you probably said the same thing, brother, you know, that anytime somebody asks me, what's, some, what's one of the main things you miss about playing? Without hesitation, I always say, man, it's like the camaraderie and the, the locker room stuff and, and the bus rides and the plane rides and just mixing it up and giving each other crap and having fun. You know, those relationships that you establish while you play and stuff, man, that's one of the biggest things you miss. Yeah, you miss the competition and when the playoffs, you know, uh, you know, roll around and stuff. It's always fun that time of year and it brings back great memories, you know, being in the postseason and all that. But, man, without a doubt, the number one thing I miss is you know, all that stuff with the guys. And so I think, you know, being able to do these kind of events like you were just talking about, it just brings all that stuff back, man. It just reminds us of what the game was all about, was the relationships and the friendships and the bonds you form and stuff. And so you're right. It's been great to kind of establish some of those new relationships now with a bunch of guys that, like you said, a bunch of guys that I really didn't, get, you know, know as well too, man. So it's been fun these last few years to have that to have those friendships with these new guys. Yeah, and because of that, Ryan Brown and his, you know, introducing us to each other, I got to go to Atlanta to do an event for Sheena and Jermaine, an NBA event, a room filled with NBA, uh, former NBA basketball players, star players, and and um, just people that I never would have met. You know, I'm friends with Will Wesley now, who played in the NFL, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, you know, uh, <laughs> shoot from the movie vision quest all these crazy things and this year uh, you weren't there last year so this year you're going to meet two of my three of my buddies uh colonel craig flowers will be coming back oh, nice colonel john donahue will be there john donahue was the uh is a green beret 31 years military he was the battalion commander of the special operations forces in northern afghanistan captain of the a-team huge <laughs> Huge uh, Boston sports fan. And also uh, my buddy came last year, Rick Rona. I don't know if you ever ran across Rick Rona, but uh, Rick Rona and I were teammates in Tulsa in 19, 1991. So the four of That's us right. will be there. Uh, and my, my girlfriend, he met uh, Steffi um, two years ago. She'll be coming again this year also. Nice. Dude, yeah, um, one, of, one of my best friends out here in Colorado – uh, just a buddy of mine named Paul, but uh, him and his wife might come out to the event too. And then he's got a good buddy of his that he had met through this like Jeep Jamboree thing and stuff that he, that he helps uh, now work at, out in like Tahoe and stuff. But his buddy was, is on SEAL team six and stuff. And he lives in Cody. So I was telling him about your guys and stuff too, man. So I, he might get his buddy to come out and join, join the other military guys. So. Oh, that's cool. That's hey, cool. Jim, do these guys know that you were a recruited basketball player collegiately. Did you share that with I don't think I, so. I mean, last I year you missed it. Last year we had a friggin' basketball game. Yeah, I saw that on video. Did you know that Denny? He was a recruited basketball player for college. I think I think we were talking about that, Jeff, the first year in Cody. Where where'd you get recruited to? Yeah, I was. Well, I was going to junior college to play basketball out of a small high That's school right. in Oklahoma, and um, 
you know, just based on my size alone, most people wouldn't realize that. But uh, yeah, that wow. summer I had you know a couple good days in a row. We got 15 hits in a row, and my, the local junior college coach asked me to come play basketball and baseball. So that's how I went into college, actually on a basketball scholarship. Didn't last long. I know what it was, David. Actually, Jeff was gracious enough last winter uh, to come out. He was going to, he was, I saw he posted on his social media. He was going to be out in the Denver area doing uh, a couple camps. And so I reached out to him because we had just started our winter workouts for, I'm the varsity pitching coach at the high school where my, where my son just graduated from last year. And uh, we had just started winter workouts. So Jeff graciously came out and spoke to our team and stuff. That's why I heard it, Jeff. You were telling, you know, you gave a little background of your, of your story and stuff. And you told uh, the guys that, and that's when I first heard about your basketball stuff too. Oh yeah, that's right. So how'd the boys do last year? Uh, we ended up losing the regionals, man. A tough game. God, we were up one to nothing going in the bottom of the bottom of seventh inning and, and lost two to one. But uh, uh, so it was like the semifinals. Of the college and play? Uh, no, you know he didn't because he ended up uh, he ended up not even be able to play his senior year, man. He 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 should have had Tommy John, but he was like, you know what, Dad, I'm not going to have Tommy John's if I'm not going to play at the next level. So. He just stuck around and helped out with the team last year, and now he's a freshman at University of Arizona, just studying music and business. Cool. And what about your daughter? How's she doing? She's doing great. She's uh, Avery's actually in. She's doing a gap year program right now, and she is in Australia right now. She's dude. It's like ten year, ten or excuse me, ten week gap year program, um, and she goes to Australia, New Zealand, Thailand, and Japan. She's working like they'll do things like um, work with the Great Barrier Reef, helping you know. Uh, conservation of that, um, an elephant orphanage in Thailand, all kinds of stuff about giving back to the community and, you know, and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool stuff. That is cool. That is cool. And, and I wasn't going to mention the fact that, uh, um, one of the fun things about our, our trips to Cody is that after the events, we all go out and have a few cold beers and yuck it up. And that, uh, we happen to be in this one, uh, this one establishment and then in the back they had this machine that you punch you punch to see how what kind of power like almost like Ivan Drago in Rocky Four, you know, he's punching and you can see how much force he can apply to his punch and all the boys are doing it. Will Wesley's a man child and all these guys are punching. Denny gets up there and takes a swing and hits this thing. And what happened, Denny? Well, it just just in my defense somebody we were all punch it normal just with a normal punch and then somebody i think it was just one of the guys who was there for the charity event not one of the, like the celebrities but he punched it or hit it with like a karate chop style and then and that that ended up registering the high score at that point so you know i'm like oh well maybe we're just doing it wrong all right i'm gonna try that karate style. so i literally held my hand like a karate style and led with my thumb and soon as i hit that stinking bag man i could tell i i I felt it and heard it a little bit too. And I'm like, Oh my God, I just broke my hand. I, I just broke my hand. I know it. And, you know, but, uh, you know, being the, being the tough guy, badass that I am, I stayed st stuck around for the rest of the night. I was playing pool and winning that night. So I won like two more games of pool as my thumb and my hand are just ballooning up and finally at like five 30 in the morning, Mike Hampton had drove in from, from Utah. So I, I finally got a hold of Hampton at five fifteen, five thirty in the morning said, dude, I need to borrow your truck. I got to go to the hospital. I, I know I broke my hand. My hand was like twice the size. So sure enough, uh, you know, I didn't have a cast on them, but they wrapped it up and everything, and I wasn't able to play softball the next day. <laughs> <laughs> Are you fully healed up for this year? Fully, fully healed up, man. But, dude, I, yeah, I, don't know if I, I think I told you, Jeff, but I, when I came back, they had surgery and had like 
four or five pins put in it and everything. I did a doozy on it. <laughs> wow. And you had some other health stuff going on. Oh, yeah. Yep, man. I was in 2017. I ended up uh, going into uh, heart failure because of an undiagnosed AFib issue that runs, unfortunately, my family, my, my dad, my brother, my uncle, my grandfather. On the men's side of my family, it runs runs pretty bad. And so for a couple of years after my brother, I dealt with it, too. The joke was like, how the heck have you not got it, Denny? Because I'm the most high strung one in, you know, of all the males in our family. And so that was kind of like a running joke. And then, you know, sure enough, haha, the joke's on me because I, you know, I did the typical guy thing for about two or three years leading up to when they finally diagnosed with me. I kept ignoring the signs, you know, like being a typical stubborn guy. I, I would be out working on the, in the yard or in the house, you know, on my roof, putting my Christmas lights on. You know, I love doing all that stuff myself. I'd come back in, dude, and take my shoes and socks off and my ankles and calves would be swollen up a little bit. You know, I feel like the heart racing and stuff, man. And, and every other week I'd be like, you know what? I'm going to go and see the cardiologist next week. Now, nah, you know, I'll go see her next month. And then so finally just got to the point where it was so bad that <clears throat> when I finally did go to the hospital, they're like, you're in heart failure right now. And so and I was in and out of the hospital that whole summer of 2017. And they finally diagnosed me with, you know, that it was so bad in the heart failure and stuff that none of the medicines were working and everything. So they. Put me on. I actually started the process of going down the, on the heart transplant list and was actually officially listed on it at one point. But thank God I ended up having a thing called the heart ablation surgery where they just go into the groin and they carterize, like literally burn the pockets of your heart that causes the, the skip, you know, in the rhythm, the AFib issue. And it corrected the issue. And my heart failure specialist kept telling me and she swore I was going to rebound from it. And so, you know, fortunately, man, over the next three or four months after that surgery, my heart just, they do a thing called ejection fraction ratio that measures the muscle function of your heart. Every, every normal person should be between 55 to 75%. Nobody, they said, well, like once you're over the age of like 25, 30 years old, it's like a car battery. Nobody's, nobody's higher than like 75, but everybody should be in that 55 to 75 range. I was at 8% at my worst. So I wasn't getting blood pumped to like anything. I was breaking out in rashes. You know, I couldn't keep food down and everything. And so after I had the heart ablation, within within three to four months, I was back up to like 68%. So, man, I was super blessed, man. Wow. And so you're doing good now? Doing great, man. Yep. The, that was So that was almost seven years ago. And uh, they said that about, you know, for, for whatever reason, they said, uh, I'll probably need it in, in 10 years because they said it lasts about 10 years. I know like uh, my boy Steve Avery had the same thing. He had an ablation about 11 or 12 years ago and about two years ago. He ended up needing a second one because he was starting to feel a little, little bit bad again and stuff. So, but he got the second one and he feels great now again. Wow, that's crazy. So was was Scott Pollard there the year that you were there in Cody? No, no, he wasn't. Yeah, but man, that's not so too. He ended up getting a he got the transplant, didn't he? He did. I don't know, Dave, if you've seen that, but Scott Pollard, NBA basketball player. I'm sure you know who he is. Uh, great guy. Him and his wife were up there in Cody, and they were. Uh, he was like the the MC of the event and uh, they were just a lot of fun. And then he just recently had like two weeks ago, had a heart transplant. I saw that we, I'm, I was on the uh, the board of directors for the retired NBA players for, for a long time. And uh, yeah, they were, they rallied together for that. He, he was a very good player. Um, yeah. uh, it's, it's tough to see anybody go through that, but especially somebody you met. So I'm glad he's doing better. Yeah. And I, and I saw where they had to, uh, they had to, you know, it's unfortunate. Because we know that anytime somebody gets a transplant, that somebody's losing their life on the other yeah. end of that. Yeah. And uh, they had to make sure that it was the person who was big enough 
<laughs> I guess had a big <laughs> enough heart or a strong enough heart to fit into Scott Pollard's six foot eleven body because he's a big man. He's all yeah. of that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, too, Jeff, I think Ryan had even told me too. It was some sort of uh, genetic thing that runs in his family as well, too. That it that kind of runs in his the male side of his family. Hmm. Well, I'm hoping he's good enough to be up there in Cody this year. I know it'd be great, uh, you know, if he makes a full recovery. Hopefully, that we can see him and yeah. spend some time with him because he's, uh, you know, a very unique guy and a very fun guy to be around and just a, a joy to have be part of that event. Absolutely. Well, let's talk a little baseball, Denny. Uh, yeah, man. Cody Wyoming and Ryan Brown. But uh, so when you came up with a, you were first were you were the twins and you got traded right, right out of the gate. How, why'd that happen? <laughs> so yeah, the first one, and, and it came out of nowhere too, Jeff, because usually, you know, especially these days, you know, with social media and everything, you know, you, you can't, there's no secrets at all. But that first time I got traded, there was no rumors. I, my agent hadn't called me. I had, I had heard nothing. So I was literally on one of the small fields doing PFP, pitcher's fielding practice. I'm on the backfields with the twins. And um, Tom Kelly yells over to Dick Sutch, our pitching coach, hey, Sutch, send me Nagel. You know, and so, of course, like Jack Morris and some of the veteran guys like, uh-oh, what'd you get into last night, kid? And I'm like, nothing. I was in bed at like 9 o'clock. I didn't do anything. So uh, Tom Kelly puts his arm around me, starts walking with me and says, uh, son, Mr. Andy McPhail's just informed me that you've been traded to Pittsburgh Pirates. I was like, you know, and this was the days before punked and everything, but you know, I, I felt like I was getting punked because I was like, wait, what? And he was like, yeah, you know, son, you know, it's a good thing. You know, they, they wanted you, but we needed to make a move because the twins had just won the world series in 91 and they felt like they had a good enough team to try to do a repeat, you know, or at least make a, or make a run at it. And so I, I was the, the young prospect being traded for the 20 game winner, John Smiley. So the twins want, you know, they wanted to go out and get a veteran pitcher to help them make one more playoff run and, you know, try to repeat stuff. So, but uh, yeah, so initially it was a shock, but then it was a great thing for me though, man, because my, I grew up in Baltimore, you know, four and a half hours from Pittsburgh. My mom was originally from Pittsburgh. Her dad was a Pittsburgh police officer that used to work games at Forbes field and, you know, and, and his, you know, on his off time and stuff like that. So, my mom grew up a big Pirates and Steelers fan stuff too. So she was super excited. And the fact that my family could just drive four hours to come see me play at that point was a pretty cool deal. Wow. That is cool. And so how many years were you with the Pirates? Uh, a little more than five years, five, five and a half. Yep. And then, you know, established myself, became a starter there and everything. And then, you know, <laughs> flash forward five and a half years later, now I become the, the veteran guy that, uh, you know, so to speak, whatever that the Braves were looking for. And, you know, traded for three or four prospects at that point then. And who were, who was in the rotation when you were with the Braves? Uh, a couple guys that did okay. You know, I, maybe you heard of them, Maddox, Glavin, and Smoltz. Yeah, those guys aren't bad. <laughs> <laughs> I always tell everybody, you know, as soon as I got traded over there, they finally started listening to me and started pitching better. <laughs> <laughs> was Rocker there? Uh, yeah, Rocker came up. Uh, he came up in 98, my, my last year there. So I got traded them in 96. And then, you know, yeah, 97 was my best year. And I'll tell you, Jeff, you know, the one thing I'll say about the Braves too, man, because of course, one of the number one questions people ask is, well, what was it like pitching rotation like that? And must have been some pressure on you, you know, to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak, whatever. And I'm like, you know, look, I, nobody put more pressure on me than myself. I was always going to be my own worst critic and be tougher on myself than anybody else. And so for me, I think the reason why I had my best years there was because I always tell everybody this. I said, look, to me, it was like, it's like running in like a 60 yard or a hundred yard dash. If you run in a hundred yard dash with 
four, three or four or five other guys that, that you know you know you can beat. You beat them every time. Yeah, you're going to beat them again, but you're probably not going to run your best times. But now if you run in a race with guys that are just as fast and not faster than you, you might not win that race, but you're probably going to keep posting your best times you've ever posted because those guys are going to push you. And that's how I felt pitching rotation with those guys, man. You know, I mean, watching Mattis go out there and throw 78 pitch complete games, watching Tommy Glavin go out there and get 15 ground ball outs. Smoltz goes out and strikes out 13, 14 guys, you know. So now it's my turn. I'm like, well, crap, man. I don't want to be the low man on the totem pole. So they – they, they pushed me, and, I, and I'd like to think that, you know, I helped push them a little bit too because we had a healthy competition amongst ourselves. I mean, you don't get to become, become future Hall of Famers, you know, whatever, without being competitive in pretty much everything you do, and that's what I love. I'm competitive in everything I do, man. So when we went out on the golf course, man, we wanted to beat each other's brains in on the golf course. If we played a pickup basketball game, if we played darts, if we ping pong in the locker room or whatever, each one of us wanted to, wanted to beat the pants off the next guy and stuff, but in a healthy, good way. And so – you know, and, and man, I mean, having the best seat in the house night after night to watch three future Hall of Famers go at it. How can you not learn from them? No what doubt. Did, you sound like exactly like me, Danny, because and I get criticized by some of my buddies for, you know, competing. It's like, man, what, you try to win at everything. I was like, why, why, <laughs> why else should we even play if I'm not going to try to win? If we're playing cornhole, if we're playing horseshoes or ping pong or pool, I'm trying to beat your brains in. And then afterward, yep. we be buddies when we're having a cold beer. But I'm I'm trying to win. Yep, yep. It's the same. It really didn't go well when you're playing. You know, you were playing board games with your wife or ex-wife. <laughs> <laughs> it never went over real well because I was trying to win. I was, you well, know. So well, what's the what's the worst one they always say to never play Pictionary with your with your significant other? <laughs> yeah, what the options. hell is that? That's not a house. <laughs> it's a guaranteed fight. What do you mean? What are you drawing? How am I supposed to know that's a dinosaur? Look at that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there was a few arguments in those uh, in those silly games, but oh yeah. So I, you know, I didn't. I got to meet Rocker a couple of years ago, and I think he's kind of misunderstood. I know. Oh yeah. Having talked to Rock and getting to know him over the years, first meeting him and Cody, um, you know, he he was he's kind of a shy guy who, um, you know, developed this persona that he was this big bad tough guy, and he just had to use that. Uh, to give himself an edge when he went out on the field. But when you're off the field with John Rocker, he is a funny dude, man. Yep. Yep. And you, without a doubt, you're exactly right, Jeff. I think you hit nail on the head. Definitely misunderstood and definitely felt like he had to live up to that persona, you know, because let's face it, you know, Jeff, as a, if you're a closer in Major League Baseball, usually they have to have some sort of edge or something, you know, and, and closers, they're almost like left-handed pitchers in a way. They have to be quirky and different and stuff, whatever, you know. So it's either like, the quiet assassin like a Mariano Rivera, you know, he had that reputation as just the quiet assassin. And then you had guys like Rocker and Rod Beck and, and Mitch, you know, Mitch Wild Thing Williams, you know, and stuff, Randy Myers, Rob Dibble, you know, those guys that just had the reputation of having a screw loose and stuff. And I think Rocker figured that he had to live up to that reputation as well, too. And just like when he, you know, he got, I wouldn't say cornered, but, you know, that whole interview thing that he did that, that, pretty much blew up on him and stuff, whatever, with the reporter out of New York and stuff, you know, and like Rocker, he goes, I didn't think he was going to print all that stuff. I was just kind of just joking around shooting from the hip, whatever. And it's like, well, he definitely learned, learned his lesson. You got to be careful what you put out there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is off the record. Is how that should start. Yeah, yeah exactly. Between me and you. Brock said, so did, are you the inspiration behind, um, 
Kenny Powers because <laughs> I don't know if you ever watched Eastbound and Down, but Kenny oh yeah, the first show and I love that show was uh, you know he starts talking doing a lot of the same stuff that Rock mentioned going through the subways at New York City and all that and yeah they they, uh, <laughs> they hit it pretty hard on that one but I mean it, it I think all of that helped established his celebrity you know he got to do oh, Survivor yeah. and all that kind of stuff it's just. But he is misunderstood, and he's and he's another person that I've become friends with. I've done a baseball, a few baseball camps. Joey Hamilton had me and Rock come to Atlanta to do a baseball camp last year, and it was great. You know, Rock doesn't he doesn't show up early, but he shows up. Yep, he's there. He's yep. not late until every last kid gets some instruction. Yep, you know, that's yep, it. Absolutely. So, uh, who are some of the? Um, the mentors that took you under their wing because I, my good friend, Mike Hamilton, Milo, I know, you know, from uh, the Rockies mm-hmm. video guy, he's my, one of my very best friends. Um, we were talking and he, I asked him if he were with the Rockies when he was there and he said, yep. And I said, what do you, can you tell me about him? He goes, Danny Nagel was a big leaguer. He said he was a big leaguer. He took the young kids out bought them clothes. He knew all the best restaurants and after hours places to go to. He always had a car waiting for him after the game. He hung out with movie stars. So I know somewhere along the line, somebody had to teach you all this stuff when you first came up. So who took you under their wing when you came up? Without a doubt. uh, You know, like Jack Morris was the guy that I looked up to as far as just his work ethic and stuff, you know, and who I wanted to emulate because that first big league camp that I went to in 91 with the twins, um, you know, he was the guy, Jeff, that I was like, wow, man, God, here's this guy. I, I don't know how old he was at that point. I want to say about 36, 37 years old, maybe, or something. But, you know, been there, done that, won the World Series in 84, you know, and stuff, whatever. And watching that guy just bust his tail, you know, in, in, in PFP and things like that, you know, he didn't take a day off. So that was one guy I looked up to just as far as the work ethic. But the guy that taught me how to be a big leaguer, on the field, off the field, you know, paid back and stuff, whatever, you know, and took me under his wing and showed me all that stuff, took me out to dinner and bought me things and bought me a suit and stuff like that was Chili Davis. He was wow. the best, man. He was the guy that I learned how to be a big leaguer from in every sense of the word, you know, and I remember him telling me that because I was like, you know, not that I had any money. You know, I was, you know, young kid, whatever, you know, my first big league camp. And I was like, are you sure, Chili, man? I feel like I need to chip in somewhere. Hey, kid, listen. You're going to be, you know, I see your potential and stuff, whatever. You're going to be, you're going to be in my shoes one day. So all I want you to do is just remember what I did for you. And you do that again, pay it back to somebody else, man. You know, cause that's what this game's all about is the, the veteran guys, you know, teaching everybody how to, you know, how to be a pro the right way and giving back someday when you get to that point. So he's definitely the one that taught me that. Do you think that stuff still happens today? like it did when we came up. I don't think it does like, like it did when we came up, Jeff, I really don't, you know, I mean, I think just because, I don't know. You know, it's like these guys at some point they started being coddled a little bit too much, you know, and stuff, man. And, and not having to prove themselves as much and pay their dues. And, and, you know, the, the guys that are the, the big bonus babies and stuff, man, you know, they, they, they it's like, they don't, because to me, part of the whole process too is, is being picked on and razzed and having fun and pulling pranks and stuff like that. I hear these stories now, Jeff, and I'm sure you have too, that, you know, like, oh, we wanted to get such and such, but, you know, we were told that he's off limits or whatever, you know, and I'm like, what? 
You know, I've never heard of that, man. It didn't matter who you were. You know, you could be the number one bonus baby blue chip can't miss guy. And you were, they were going to give you crap also too in the best way possible though. To me, that's, that's like showing that man that you're one of us, you know, whatever, man, when you, when you get a prank pulled on you, when you, the, you know, the veteran guys rib on you a little bit and stuff, man, like that, that's all part of it. It should be part of it. And I think that's a lost art. And I, I don't think it is like how it was when we played. Yeah, I don't either. And it's, it was like a test. It was yes. a test. Well, we were going to push you a little bit and they did it to me. They did it to all the guys and you just kind of accepted it. And, you know, the guys who just took it were accepted and the guys who fought back and didn't want to get dressed up when they dressed the rookies up and that, that guy was just never really a part of the team. And, yep. and what I see, and I don't know, I'm not in a big league clubhouse, but so many of these young guys, like you said, are coming up and, you know, and they're, they've been touted their whole life as being this star and they get to the big leagues and it's like, they've been there for 10 years and you can't talk to them and you can't do this. And they're, they don't spend time in the locker room like we used to spend after the games either. I mean, and Mike told me that it's like, these guys are out of the clubhouse in 15 minutes. It's like, we would be there for 45 minutes to an hour sitting in our locker, talking about what happened in the game, having a beer and talking shop. And I think that's missed from the game. And I think that's a big reason why we don't see the, the baseball instincts I think are disappearing from the game. And these guys are being told where to play on the field and what pitch to throw and when to run and do this stuff. And they can't think for themselves for the most part. Yep. I mean, I don't know if you saw it, Jeff. I think I want to say it was Eric Burns, maybe on his little podcast, wherever you know that. Uh, does, I think, doesn't he have Will Clark on there a lot with him? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's hilarious. And, and Will was telling the story. You know, I saw it not, not that long, maybe a few months back, whatever, you know, I don't know, maybe five or six months ago. But I was thinking to myself, see, that's what you, you don't need to hear about this stuff anymore. But Will Clark was talking about when he was with the Orioles. And he said, man, he goes, I'm struggling Cal struggling. Cal's on his like, you know, ninth different batting stance of the season that year, like Cal used to do. And uh, and he said, Cal looks at me at, you know, after the game the one night in the Metrodome, Minnesota, and he goes, Hey, Will, I think it's time for a late night batting practice session. He goes, Yep, I'm with you, Cal. And he goes, I knew exactly what he meant. He goes, So Cal, you know, paid the clubhouse guys or, you know, uh, to go pay the, the, the guys working at the Metrodome to keep the lights on and stuff. He goes, And there's me and Cal sent the, the kids out to go grab a couple extra cases of beer. And he said, there's me and, me and Cal feeding each other balls, just the two of us on the Metrodome, you know, taking BP till like one in the morning, drinking some beers. But he goes, but sure as shit, you know, the, the next day, I, he goes, I think I went two for four and Cal went two for three or something like that, you know, because that's what it's all about, man. But you never hear about something like that anymore, you know, and that's, I was, you know, because they don't, they don't get any better than that. I mean, Cal's, Cal's the best, you know, I mean, dude, you know, you talk about a superstar that was never above anybody, man, and had time for everyone and stuff. And. You know, again, I think that kind of stuff is a lost art, you know, and nobody should ever be above anything and having fun with stuff like that. Yeah, and I see in the game, you just don't see many veteran players that are like role players anymore where they keep a, you know, a 35-year-old guy who's going to be a backup, infielder, outfielder. But the stuff, the other stuff that he's going to provide that team is way more important and what he's going to provide on the field. He's going to be in the clubhouse. He's going to be talking to these young kids, mentoring them, teaching them the things that he learned during his career. And, th- and I just don't think that people upstairs understand how important that stuff is and, and how important having team chemistry and having some guys in there to enforce the rules and say, hey, you young whippersnapper, 
I don't care what round you're drafted in. You got to be here on time like the rest of us, and you got to wear your uniform right, and you got to act right on the baseball field. Hundred percent, Jeff. You're right. You know, I mean, we were. I was. Uh, I actually had shoulder surgery myself from from throwing too much batting practice the last two years, or whatever. But uh, so I'm doing my rehab right now at the Stedman Hawkins UC Health Clinic out here in in Denver. And the guy I'm working with used to be one of the trainers for the Rockies for like ten or twelve years. And we he was him and I were talking about Jason Giambi. And exactly what you're just talking about, Jason Giambi, you know, the, the, at the end of his career, he ended up playing like an extra four more years with the Rockies. Obviously, far from the Jason Giambi he was, you know, with the A's and the Yankees and stuff, whatever. But boy, he extended his career, and they said, you know, what a valuable asset he was in that clubhouse. You know, at that point, he accepted his role. He knew he was just going to get an occasional start, pinch hit here and there and stuff, whatever. But like, you know, like my buddy Scotty was saying, the trainer, and he was like, Denny, he was the best, so man. He was, first of all, I loved hearing his stories, first and foremost. He had some great stories, but, uh, but he said, you know, we were, that's exactly what we were talking about, Jeff. He said, you just don't see that anymore, Danny. Cause Jason was just so great, man. Working with these kids, man, and sticking around and, and teaching them how to be a pro on and off the field and stuff, man. And you're right, dude, somebody like that now, you know, so many teams now would pass on some, a player exactly like that at, at that point in his career. Now he doesn't have it anymore, you know, and stuff. Well, yeah, but what about his, uh, you know, the clubhouse chemistry is, ah, you know, we're not going to pay him for that. You know, because everything's too much X's and O's these days with the analytics and everything else and stuff that you forget how valuable those clubhouse presents are sometimes in teams. Yeah, and I know when I came up with the Rangers in 92, um, probably the the guy who mentored me the most was the backup catcher, Gino Petrolli. And I'll never forget, forget Gino, you know, at the end of the season, he came up to me on the flight home and said, I did a great job. I got a bright future. I never forget it, you know, but I had some serious, serious veterans on the team when I came up. I mean, I had Brian Downing, Gino Petrolli, mm-hmm. Nolan Ryan, I had Kevin Brown, Kenny Rogers. Um, I mean, these guys have been around a long time. And yeah. it was like, man, these, you know, so I just kept my mouth shut and tried to not let them know that I wasn't supposed to be there. Basically <laughs> <laughs> hide and say, hey, hopefully they won't realize I'm still here. And I just try to do my job. But I learned so much from those guys of just how to keep your mouth shut, do your job. As long as you do that, you're going to be fine. Then later on in your career, once you feel like you belong, then you can cut loose a little bit. And then I kind of became the guy uh, for a few teams that would take the youngsters out. You know, it's like, all right, you're going out with me or we're going across the street in New York to this that little clothing st- store across <laughs> the street in the, in Brooklyn um, where, where we used to stay when we go play the Yankees and we'd all go over there and go buy a guy a suit or something like that. And just the stuff the guys did to me, you got to pass that stuff down. And I, I think that's missing from the game and that's unfortunate. Yep. Yep. Without a doubt, brother, without a doubt, you know, and, you know, that's, that's probably one of the things that, that the best compliment I can get, you know, I'm, I know, I, I don't know if you were on that or not, Jeff, you know, a few years ago, they had that one uh, group page, I think on Facebook or something, you know, like uh, major and minor league players and stuff, whatever, you know, and it was, it was a pretty big size group that was on that. And, you know, they used to pose questions and stuff, you know, and then I remember one time they said, you know, Hey, I got one out here, you know, for all you players, you know, who was, who was one of your favorite you know, veteran teammates that took care of you and stuff, whatever, you know, took out the dinners and stuff like that. And it made me feel pretty good that a bunch of guys tagged me on that, you know, different from different teams and stuff, you know, a bunch of young guys that, that I had the fun of taking under my wing and stuff, you know, because again, you know, that was instilled in me from the get go from someone like Chili Davis. 
and and I kept instilling it on other guys. And yeah, I remember like one guy was Mark DeRosa, you know, D Rose when he came up with the Braves in '98. And I had already befriended him in spring training and, and was taking him out, you know, on the same thing. Same thing. It just reminded me of myself, you know, because he kept like trying to reach for his wallet and stuff. And I'm like, put your wallet away, kid. I said, you know, there'll, there'll be coming day. I said, you got a lot of talent. I see it in you, man. I love your personality. I mean, I love the way you go about your work and stuff, man. I said, so, you know, I'm going to tell you the same thing Chili Davis told me and stuff, you know, that one day you're going to be able to give this back to somebody else. So you just remember that. And he did. You know, D Rose became one of those great veteran guys, man, that, you know, had a heck of a career, you know, and now he's doing great things as well, too, and stuff, you know. But, you know, when I, whenever I talk to him now, too, you know, someone like him will say that. And Sean Casey, man, is a good buddy of mine. And Casey has tagged me on a few things saying that I was one of his favorite teammates and stuff. So those those things are the things that mean the most to me, just like I was saying earlier. You know, it's like those those relationships that you have in the game, man, and stuff, they'll last forever, man. Yeah, and that that is cool, too. And, and I think I probably got kicked off that that one, Denny. Because uh, some of the stuff I post on social media, they don't like. So I've been kicked <laughs> off. More than, <laughs> I've been kicked off more than one of those Facebook groups for posting things. Uh, <laughs> anyway, but that that's the ultimate compliment. And you know, the thing is, is you didn't do that for any reason except that you knew it was the right thing to do because Chili Davis did that to you, and you didn't want recognition. You know, the recognition yep. you get now. I'm sure you enjoy getting it, but that's not why you did it. Yep. You know, without a doubt, brother, you did it because somebody before you did it to you. And then now you're passing it down. And that's kind of the, you know, the, the way it should be, or the way it was when we played, I wish they would get back to that. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, do you even watch the game anymore? I do, you know, I mean, I definitely don't watch it as much as I used to and stuff, you know, but I, I still do. I mean, because, it's, you know, it's in my blood. It's baseball. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm still always going to love the game. There's certain things, absolutely, Jeff, that, you know, that I wish it hadn't changed, you know, or they do different now that I'm just like, oh, gosh, man. You know, and then every time I sit there and I say something like, oh, man, I don't even know if I want to watch anymore. Then once spring training rolls around, you know, and I, I catch, a, catch a spring training game here and there, or, you know, or my son, I would take him to a game or something, you know, and and then, you know, it's like I fall. I'll tell you what's really made me fall in love with baseball over again is being able to coach these last couple of years, man. You know, to be honest with you, it's I was a little hesitant because I didn't want to be, you know, with my son playing and stuff, you know, and I didn't want to be the daddy ball and that kind of stuff, whatever, you know. But boy, I'm so glad I did it, you know, because now, you know, he's not even playing anymore and I'm still doing it because I just love working with these kids. And it's just like you just kind of we're just talking about because it's all about giving back. And I try to teach these kids just like kind of what we're talking about, Jeff, you know playing the game the right way, man, going about doing, you know, doing your job the right way, you know, busting your butt, but, but keeping your mouth shut, you know, and stuff, be, be seen and heard on the field and let your, let your, let your playing speak for itself. You don't need to be some, you know, some hot dog, you know, and stuff, whatever, and, and disrespect, you know, your teammates or, or the other team and your family and everybody else, you know, and stuff, just play the game the right way. Yeah. And that, I love that. And I, you know, a lot of the kids, I've, I've had some um, interactions with quite a few kids on social media because I'll criticize the showboating stuff. And the next thing you know, there's a little argument ensues. And then, but most of the time it, it comes all the way back around to where we develop a friendship. And I say, listen, man, I said, and this is like, even the Max Clark kid who was the high ground draft pick yeah. kid. It's like, listen, everybody's watching you why not set the example of how to behave and how instead of how not to behave? Because if they see you doing that, 
then more of them are going to do that. Then we'll get back to where the game used to be, where we had respect for each other on the field, and we let our performance do the talking, not our bat flips or pounding our chest. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, and there's a time and place for it, Jeff. Obviously, you know, I mean, yeah, the kid hits a walk-off game-winning grand slam or three-run home run. You know, of course you're going to be a little more excited than normal and stuff, you know, and, and there might be a little more excessive celebration. You know, again, I'm not talking about, you know, disrespecting the other team in the process or the pitcher or whatever or something. But, of course, you know, emotions are running high in, in situations like that, and, and the celebration might be a little more excessive than normal and stuff. Nobody's saying that, you know, I mean, I think you, you definitely have to have the fun in the game and, and the kids should be able to, you know, be a little excited about something. But I think there definitely needs to be a line drawn, though, too, because it's gotten way out of hand. It has. And a, a funny story real quick is uh, a kid I'm going to have. Um, he's not a kid, but he's in the big leagues. Um, Gavin Lux is, is Dodgers. Yeah. Infielder in the big leagues. And I posted something last year, I think, when the Dodgers were in the playoffs and one of their guys hit a double in a game they were losing nine to nothing. And he got to second and he did this dance. I posted the video. I was like, man, what is this? It's like, you're losing nine to nothing. And Gavin and I kind of got into it. And I said, man, it's just, you know, it's nine to nothing. He goes, yeah, but they've been doing that all year. I said, still, you got to know the situation of the game. Okay. And so through that, him and I started talking and now we've become friends. And if I could ever get him to, um, get his computer in the same city <laughs> where he's at. We'll have him on the podcast. Um, but a lot of those, uh, I've de- developed a lot of relationships with people by first criticizing something they did. And then us having a conversation and saying, Hey, you know, we don't want you guys to not celebrate. Just know when it's the right time. And when you're losing mm-hmm. nine to nothing in a playoff game in the seventh inning and you get a double, it's not the right time to dance on the bases. Yep, I couldn't agree more. You, you, you know, I know exactly what you're talking about too. I know that little shimmy dance they do when you know when they kind of like shake their, you know, their 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 uh, top side kind of. You know, I know exactly. I picture Freddie Freeman doing stuff, you know, too. But but yeah, I mean, you're exactly right, man. There's a time and place for it. No, no, the right. It's like this. You know, it's like in football, man. When the team is down by you know 29 points or 30 points, and the wide receiver catches a first down, even a touchdown, first down, he comes up, you know, on one knee, pointing, you know, first down, whatever, you know. And it's, you know what I mean? It's like five minutes to go in the game. You're down by 30 points. Great. You did your job. You know, no, who cares? Man, I, I just, yeah, I hate that stuff too, man. It's, you're exactly right. Know the situation, man. But I think yeah. it's great though too, Jeff, that you guys are able to talk about it. You know, I mean, wouldn't it be a, a great thing in this world and, and politically and everything else if, if everybody handled it the same way? Let's have an honest discussion and just talk about this. Yeah, and yeah, exactly, exactly. And I've had that happen a number of times where I criticize somebody, and next thing I know, you know, we become friends. It's crazy, all the all the people, and I'm so thankful um, because of this. You know, when I got on social media four years ago and started doing this stuff, all the relationships that I've built, and and it's not just the ones that I've built. It's me helping connect people with other people. You know, now this guy's yeah. a friend of this guy or this guy knows this guy. And it's really cool. And I think it's just, you know, like-minded people who have the same values. And we want to, we want to interact with people who are like us and that, you know, we can all help each other and whatever it is. And somebody says to me, oh, yeah, I'm doing this. I was like, wait a minute. I know a guy that you might like that might be able to help you. And I'm just going to immediately 
introduce those two people and now they have a relationship and I don't, I'm not doing it for anything. I don't want anything from it. It's just, I want to try and help my friends hook up with other good people so they could maybe work together and benefit each other. Absolutely, brother. I mean, you know, to me, that's what, that's what life should all is, should be all about. You know, I mean, building each other up, helping each other out, you know, helping help a fellow, fellow human being out, man. I think that's great, Jeff. I mean, seriously, that, that's what life is all about to me, man. Well, I appreciate it, Danny. And I know we had a few technical difficulties. I appreciate you hopping in your car and driving down the road just to make this happen today. Uh, Dave, before we leave, you have any questions for Danny before we get out of here? Yeah, I, I had one, Danny. I know you, you mentioned coaching your son. And Jeff, I, I know you, you helped your boys grow in the game. And we have a, a broad audience here, a lot of either former athletes that are dads coaching their kids or dads in general. And I'm a 20 year veteran of college basketball coaching, and now I'm coaching my kids. I never wanted to, but it's revitalized my love for, for, for the different sports. How did you balance that relationship with your son coaching them and, and then being dad? <laughs> That's a great question, man. You know, cause the, the number one thing you always, when you do coach, cause I, you know, but even before high school, I coached him in, in some of his summer teams that he played and stuff too. And so it was always a tough balance because with the right amount of, I want to push him to try to get better. And then you always worry about, you know, like I was saying earlier too, there's that thing in baseball called daddy ball, you know, where you don't want to feel like you're showing him uh, too much favoritism, you know, and why is your son always the number one pitcher? Or why is he batting third or whatever, you know, and stuff. And so it's, it's tough to balance that, you know, and so sometimes, you know, to be honest with you, you almost find yourself being a little bit too hard, you know, because you want to make sure that you see that, you know, you're not showing any favoritism whatsoever. I was blessed David, that my son just, he, he got it right away. He had such a great attitude with the game and just was a sponge wanting to soak it all up and everything. So I had it pretty easy with him, man, that he wanted me to push him and stuff. And he was okay if I was even a little bit harder on him because I wanted him to be better and stuff. But uh, man, most importantly though, man, the, the number one thing that I preach to him and anybody that I, that I coach is that, look, guys, the number one thing I want you guys, if I can make you guys better human beings and better young men, and, and have fun doing this in the process because the last thing I want you guys to do is walk away from this with a bad taste and a bad experience about this. I want this to be nothing but great and fun memories for you. So I try to do the right amount of balance of pushing them to make them be better on the field. But most importantly, I want them to be better human beings, to better young men and to walk away having a great time and a fun experience. I think that's a great message to, to wrap with our audience. You want me to hit the sponsors, Jeff? Not yet. Not yet. And I just want to, um, say to that note i agree denny and that's when i when when people ask me about because i coach my sons when they ask me i was like listen man i just tried to you know encourage my kids to go have fun i never put pressure on them um to you know to perform or anything like that just go have fun make -hmm. friends be a good teammate don't you know don't be a poor sport and you know my kids didn't play beyond high school um did they have the ability probably that did they have the drive that you and I had? Probably not, but that's okay. You know, mm-hmm. but I, I can tell you that, you know, the best compliment I've ever gotten was from my friend, Colonel Flowers. I can't wait for you to meet him. Mm-hmm. He came to my house probably 15 years ago and we went fishing for a couple of days and my boys were young and he grew up at West Point. His dad was in the military and he said, your two sons are two of the best behaved boys I've ever been around in my life. <laughs> and I was like, that's what it's all about, man. And it wasn't yep. because they were afraid of me. You know, if I give them that look, they might be afraid, but it wasn't because I, you know, 
I was beating them around the house. And they right. needed a whoop and they got one. Uh, but they knew what, what, right from wrong. And I helped them. I told them to hold the door, go open the door for a lady or go help this lady put her groceries in the back of her car and just do little things like that, that I think, you know, help them become the men they are today. And that's really what it's all about is, is, you know, what kind of people are they after their baseball careers or sports careers are over because they're, they're going to end someday. And we want them to be good people and good citizens. Absolutely, brother. And you're exactly right, man. The best compliment I always get with my kids too, same exact thing, Jeff, is when people say, well, I'll tell you what, man, your kids are some of the most, you know, down to earth, respectful, polite kids I've ever met. And that means the world to me. That's the best compliment I can receive. I agree. I agree. And uh, all right, Dave, hit us with our sponsors. Denny, thank you very much. Hang on at the end of the show, please. And uh, you got it. really enjoyed this. Thanks yeah, for having was, me, brother. That was another another great interview, Jeff and Denny. Phenomenal. I think our audience of 70,000, 74 countries uh, got a lot of good information today. And uh, for our audience, thanks for hanging in today. It's the back end of a triple header Wednesday. We started off with the Hall of Famer, Jim Cott followed by the duo Bob Schaefer and uh, Ted Kubiak, three-time World Series champion, came on today to talk about his, his issues with infield play and, and promote his book. And, of course, we, we end the Wednesday with, with She Gone, Jeff Fry, and, and Denny Nagel. Uh, appreciate you guys. Make sure you guys, uh, our audience, anyways, take care of our sponsors, Millions, Jaw Batch, you use She Gone at checkout. Also, the same tagline with the kinetic arm, you use She Gone, you get a discount with both one-on-one pathway for college sports. Thank you for helping with our production costs. And then also Monet uh, products, curing my hat head. Uh, it's doing a good job with that. So with that, Frida, I'll pass it back to you to do your, your sign off. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. Uh, you do a great job as usual. Appreciate it, Denny. We'll be in touch, buddy. And I uh, look forward to seeing Cody. This is Jeff Rye signing off the She Gone podcast. She Gone. Everybody's trying to tell me what is right for me. I need a drink and a quick decision. Now it's coming.